0: It's Halloween, or what was once known as All Hallows' Eve. It's the time of year when the wind gets colder, the nights get darker, and orange jack-o'-lanterns light your trick-or-treat path. It's a celebration of all things spooky, when the hair stands up on your arms, a chill goes down your spine, and you sense that there might just be something behind you. Today we're going to look at Halloween and what happens to our bodies when we're scared. Why does our heart race, our breath get faster and we jump at the slightest of sounds? Once we find out why we get scared, let's find out what scared us here at home for generations with some of our favorite ghost stories and urban legends. Many of us have had a visit from the old hag late at night. Some have heard tales of fairies, and there's even new tales being spun about red eyes staring down at Newfoundlanders from abandoned towers. Well, if you're like me and you're prone to getting a good fright from goblins, ghouls, and other spooky characters at Halloween, then Dr. Jacqueline Blundell can explain the science behind your fear. It's a topic she's been studying for 20 years in the Faculty of Science as an associate professor. Her research looks into the long-term effects of fear and why we can't sleep when we hear a bump in the night. Let's begin. Hi, Dr. Lindell. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, it's great to have you here because we are talking about spooky stuff and fear and Halloween in today's episode and who better to talk about fear than you who's a researcher who has dedicated a large chunk of your career to understanding how it works in our body. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your work?
1: Sure, I have a PhD from Memorial University. I um, studied uh, in Dallas as a postdoctoral fellow and then I came back as an assistant professor in 2008 and a full professor just last year. I am also the acting or interim associate dean of research here in the Faculty of Science. My interest has always been on how we process fear and what that can lead to. And from a broad perspective, how that can lead to disorders like anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: That's right. I mean, you've done some pretty interesting research. Can you give me a quick summary of some of the stuff you've done with animals? Because that itself is kind of scary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So um, I guess uh, my primary area of interest looks at the effects of a traumatic event, something super scary to a rodent, and whether or not that affects the individual itself, but more recently, whether or not that experience affects the offspring or the offspring's offspring, so the children or the grandchildren. And there's lots of research showing that people who have have experienced something terrible or some substantial trauma, their children show increased likelihood of depression, anxiety, sort of mental health concerns. And so we can model that in the lab by exposing a rodent, such as a mouse, to a predator. We've used cats, we've used rats. We've used cat's noises or owl noises, anything that in nature would produce a predatory experience for the mouse. Um, We then wait and they have their babies and we look at the offspring and whether or not the offspring are more vulnerable to stress in their lifetime and whether they show these increased anxiety-like behaviors or changes in the brain that are consistent with what humans show.
0: Wow, I really hope we don't get that effect from watching scary movies at the holidays (laughs) because I might be in trouble. Now, the reason people use animal models like yours is because a lot of this translates to people as well. But can you explain what happens in the human body when we get scared?
1: Absolutely. I think fear in particular is consistent across all animals. Everyone, everything, every animal gets afraid. And that's vital to their survival. If we weren't afraid of the bear or something you know, scary that could kill us, then we wouldn't be around and we probably wouldn't procreate and hence we wouldn't pass our genes on and we wouldn't exist. And so from a mouse all the way to a human, really the biology underlying fear, the fear response is pretty similar. And you're probably all familiar or have heard of what's called a fight or flight response mm-hmm. so people often refer to the physiological response occurring in the body as the fight or flight response Basically, your breathing rate increases, your heart rate follows suit, peripheral blood vessels um, constrict that are close to the skin. You see central blood vessels around vital organs dilate to flood them with oxygen and nutrients, as well as the muscles are pumped with blood, all in an attempt to prepare yourself for either a flight, so running away, getting away from the monster or the attacker or preparing itself to fight. Metabolically, we see levels of glucose in the blood uh, increase, which provides a a store of energy if necessary, if you need to run for long distances. Similarly, we see levels of calcium and white blood cells in the bloodstream increase. And the importance of that, so if you get cut, for example, you want your immune system to be ready to go and prevent infection and really focus your attention at the task at hand, which is getting away from or fighting off the, uh, the monster or the
0: bear or the whatever. (laughs) <laughs> that's right and if you think about those things i mean your heart pumps blood throughout your body your lungs bring in oxygen you're giving yourself exactly what you'd need and it's probably the same response we see in usain bolt before they start a race but uh you know it also good if we're trying to get away from whatever is scaring us and a lot of people have different responses to fear okay so for example I can't stand scary movies. I can't do it. I just can't do it. They scare the. I, I, I'm looking through my fingers the whole time. Why is it that some people get more scared than others?
1: Right. So I think that's a great point. I agree. I hate them. I remember my first uh, first date with my husband, he brought a movie over uh, to my house and it was the exorcist and it almost ended there. <laughs> uh, I hate it, but other people love it. Uh, he loves it. It's his favorite activity is watching these uh, scary movies and now i love roller coasters so you know there are aspects of the fear response that i really enjoy and and others not so much so there's no real explanation i mean i guess people either like the feeling i sort of look at it so the way it works in the brain is that you get this massive release of hormones and cortisol in the blood or in the brain that causes overactivation of the amygdala so your amygdala is this area in the brain that responds to fear now it is immediate And it gets your body going so that you can fight or flight. It doesn't matter if the scary thing is real or not. The most important thing in that situation is to get you out of this dangerous situation so you don't die. Once you are away from the threat, then sort of the other parts of the brain sort of take stock of what's going on and so you know it's your hippocampus and your prefrontal cortex kind of say wait now there's nothing scary about this you're watching a movie those people those actors have paint on their face or it's oh my god keep running because that's an actual lion behind you Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's this dampening of the amygdala that may or may not I I don't know, I don't actually think anyone really knows, but perhaps in people who enjoy these scary situations, maybe these other parts of the brain that sort of tell you, okay, this, what situation to really be scared in may be more efficient or maybe working better than in people who like me, who just can't tolerate it at
0: all. And I feel
1: like I'm in the movie, I'm the person that's being attacked and I can't, I'm frozen with fear. (laughs)
0: I <laughs> And it could happen. A doll could come to life and have a big knife. My amygdala does not dampen for several years after watching something <laughs> like that. So,
1: and it could also be, you know, if something bad, so environment also may play a role, right? So if something bad has happened to you and you can relate that to the movie, mm. perhaps that would pr- prevent you from enjoying it. Um, so there's lots of things. I mean, humans are quite complex and so is their physiology. And so there's lots of things that could affect
0: how people respond to movies. That's right. And those movie people have gotten awful good at making it seem real. So we might be scared because people are so good at telling the stories, but you brought up a good point. What about humans? Some people don't like spiders and snakes and like being in the dark. Is that the type of stuff you're talking about?
1: Right. So that's a really, so I guess what you're referring to is phobias and some of them can be real, right? So if you see someone fall off a bridge and die, then the likelihood of you being scared of bridges is pretty high and normal, yeah. but not everyone who sees someone fall off a bridge actually can't go on a bridge again. And so there is something unique about phobias and lots of times it's irrational, right? We know that a spider, you know, that hangs above my, porch preventing me from ever going out on the porch can't do anything to me (laughs) um but yet i am you know i avoid the porch yeah
0: <laughs> uh, you must be my neighbor because we have a lot of spiders too. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, and so it's not reasonable. And yet we still experience that fear. You know, for me, I can when pushed. And so it doesn't debilitate my life. Mm-hmm. But pe- some, for some people, it actually does. And so there's cognitive behavioral therapy. There's all sorts of therapies that have been developed to help people deal with those types of issues. Um, the actual origin of phobias is not real clear, um, as far as I know anyway. Uh, but it is certainly a concern, but I think it responds quite well to therapy and potentially medicine.
0: Well, Dr. Blundell, you are a researcher, so you understand the physiology and how fear actually manifests in the body. How does your research contribute to the overall assistance towards mental health treatment for people?
1: Right. So I think there are parts of mental health or there are, rather, there are parts of diseases of, um, that contribute to mental health that fear, sort of the, the mechanism by which fear manifests itself um, contributes. For example, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, anxiety disorders, even some depression, I would argue. Uh, trauma or fear exposure can, uh, can contribute. And so understanding the mechanisms by which we process fear can potentially lead to novel treatments, perhaps novel therapies that can help mitigate some of the issues with these disorders.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for taking your time today to share a lot about the physiology and reassuring us that the scary stories we're going to hear are not going to impact us in the long term. Thanks so much.
1: I appreciate your time. Thanks.
0: That was Dr. Jacqueline Blundell, who's a full professor in the Faculty of Science and studies fear and how it impacts our physiology. When we come back, we'll talk with Katie Crane, who's completing her doctorate in folklore and studies cemeteries and what they mean to our communities. She's going to share the history of storytelling, tales, and urban legends in our province, including a ghost story you won't want to miss. We'll be right back. Good evening. Our next victim is Katie Crane, who's completing her doctorate in folklore and studies cemeteries and what they mean to our communities. She's going to share the history of storytelling, tales, and urban legends in our province, including a recent record of the Glovertown Red Eyes. Let's check it out. Hi Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I was excited to have you. Uh, I actually found a lot about your work when an article that came out in the Gazette where they interviewed you on spooky stories, but you are a folklore PhD student and you've studied this. Can you tell me a bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm doing my folklore PhD looking at historic cemeteries in Newfoundland and Labrador as sites of community identity and not personal memorialization, which is what cemeteries were kind of meant to do and I'm just really interested in looking at the reasons that like why people are trying to preserve the cemeteries in their communities and what what meaning that has for them and what they want to do with them.
0: That's right. I mean, and and there's different connotations. Like you said, it was a personal memorial. It could be something. There's always beautiful little cemeteries. I remember there's a couple of towns I drive to down on the Cape shore. And that's the first thing you see when you come into town. And it's like a a milestone that you've actually made it there. You study folklore, but can you give me a bit of a breakdown on how these different stories manifest? Because there's folklore, then there's tales, there's legends, there's all sorts of different ways that people explain the unknown, I guess, when it comes to scary stuff.
2: Yeah, there's, there's lots of different types of narrative in folklore. Um, you've got folktales, which are invented tales of it by someone who knows how long ago in the past that are, are purely meant to entertain. They're funny or they're scary or they're magical or fantastical. And they're, they're really just the stories that you tell to pass a long, cold night um, when you had nothing else to do. and oral tradition was, was the thing. Then you have your legends, which is what I'm really interested in. And they come in different forms. You can have historical legends. What I really like is is what people know as uh, urban legends, but we call them contemporary legends because they're not only found in urban environments, they're found all over the place. And the same legend can be told in multiple different locations as if it took place in that location. So you have things like Bloody Mary, which is considered an urban legend because it takes place in every school bathroom, every kid's home. It, It lives like in the imagination. And I like those because they speak to the things that frighten or worry us uh, as a society. And then you have personal experience narratives, which are things that have actually happened to someone. And I'm interested in those because I like looking at the ways people talk about things that they've experienced, especially if it's something that they didn't have the language to talk about before the experience or if society isn't really accepting of that experience and, and the ways people negotiate that experience when they're telling
0: their stories. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll share a little personal experience. I had just a bit, but before we get into that, like, uh, are there any <laughs> legends? You know, we're talking about Halloween here and scary stuff. Are there any legends that particularly stand out to you that are relevant to us here in Newfoundland, Labrador?
2: Yeah, I mean, lots. Uh, we have okay. a huge... Maritime history of haunted boats and ghost lore with that. But what I'm going to be telling actually tonight at a Girl Guide campfire thing is the, the story of Red Eyes, which takes place at the Glovertown Mill, which is a a kind of recent urban legend. As far as I know, there, there wasn't much talk about it before maybe the, the 70s or 80s, um, but it's set long <laughs> long ago when the mill was being built. So uh, the Glovertown mill was being constructed in the 1920s by a Norwegian company that must have run out of money because they tried to sell it to the government and that fell through and so they just abandoned it. They walked away in the middle of the construction and it's still there, you can go visit it. They have storyboards around the, the mill and I've been there and it's really fascinating because it's this giant, tower uh that you see when you're driving through the community like through the woods and when i went with my friend we didn't know about it and we saw it in the woods and we went what is that and we had to drive to it um and we eventually found it it's not hidden but we felt like it was a discovery um and the story of red eyes takes place around the time of its construction there's supposed to have been a worker who was running behind, um, and he was supposed to be working at the top of the tower. So he was staying late.
0: You coming, Sam? Now, Bob's gonna fish up up here, okay? I'll see you tomorrow. All right, see you
2: tomorrow. Everybody else had left for the day, and he was like, no, nah, I just I have to finish this, um, whatever he was working on. And the next day, when everyone showed up, he wasn't there, which was really unusual because he was like the first to show up, the last to leave. Um, And so when they went looking, he had fallen or been pushed or something off the top of the tower and they found his dead body at the bottom.
3: Guys, you guys seen Sam this morning? Guys, what's that over there? Oh my God, Sam.
2: The story is that ever since then, if you're there late at night, which a lot of people are, it's a teen hangout spot, there's a swimming hole nearby, and it's the place to take your dates. You'll see red eyes at the top of the tower or they'll follow you through the woods as you're walking around. Another name he has is Cement Block Sam, because apparently some of the versions of the legend, he fell into wet cement, and so his body is actually trapped in the, the building itself.
0: Okay, that is creepy. That's really <laughs> creepy. And, and you know, Newfoundland has such a storied history of this. I could tell you that I once had an experience where something flew in the air over our heads, and me and my friend both saw it, and completely, we, were, we had our wits about us, and then later found out that house has been continually visited by something that throws stuff all the time, and it wasn't just us. How do people translate those experiences? And that's one of the areas you study. How do they how do they explain it? Is this do they create stories like this? Like what do they do?
2: Yeah. So if people have an experience uh, like you that they can't really explain, they they do this thing called appeals to authority. And so they, they say the things that you just said, where you're like, I was completely sober. I was fully aware. I wasn't asleep. So they're they're appealing to their own sound mind. And they also use a lot of scientific language, especially since the early 1900s and science became the authority um, rather than, say, the church and spirituality. So you have people who will, who will say, well, I, I did testing. I heard a sound in my room. And so I went and I turned off the furnace and I checked all the pipes and I checked the window or I felt a cold draft and I made sure everything was closed. and I didn't have the air conditioner on. And so they'll, they'll be doing their own like testing to, to figure out and rule out everything. And then they're left with this thing that they can't explain. There's a really interesting study by a folklorist who is also a medical researcher. Uh, I don't know if you know him, David Hufford. Um, he did, Uh, work at munn in the 70s on the old hag um and he found this thing unique to newfoundland in a way that we have a language for the old hag we have a word it's a cultural experience and so we can talk about it but other people elsewhere in the world have similar experiences but didn't have that language to be able to talk about it and so when he went on a radio show and it was talking about his research, he started getting all these phone calls saying, "I had that too and I did not know how to explain it or talk about it so the fact that we have this cultural body of knowledge that we can express this is really interesting and unique mm-hmm. and his his hypothesis that it was that there's something called experiential belief where you can have the belief that comes first you can believe in angels, let's say because you're religious um, and so you have a way to talk about it but then some people who don't believe in that have an experience they can't explain and then they look for the language to be able to to explain that um mm-hmm. to themselves and to other people
0: that makes perfect sense because i've had the old hag i, I could say i've had the old hag and then but when something comes flying down a staircase at me i'm like it's, i don't know what it was that's interesting so we're talking about health here but i think part of health is community and one of the things you've studied is is how it shapes our community how do the stories that we have that sometimes scare us make us special as a society here in our province?
2: We have a really strong oral tradition, oral narratives um, that a lot of people, I think, have moved away from as their communities grew. Um, and so you didn't have that social interaction with your neighbors the same way. And so I think the fact that uh, Newfoundland has always been this kind of close knit community um, has allowed this tradition to keep going. You have things like the St. John Storytelling Festival that are promoting this. And I think it's just something that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, they, they always have a story. <laughs> you yeah. can ask someone anywhere in Newfoundland and Labrador
0: uh, for a story and yeah. they'll always have one and it will always be great. OK, so last question. As a researcher, you're the highest level you can get in this area. Should we believe in ghosts and scary things?
2: I, I really think that's a personal personal decision to make. I have had experiences that I can't explain. And I think just like David Hufford, before I had them, I just, they were not a thing for me. I didn't have a way to talk about them. People would tell me things and I would just be like, yeah, okay. But then you have those experiences for yourself and you think, okay, well, what if? Mm. Um, And so those experiences really affect how people believe. And I, I, I do think that, you know, some people believe without having the experience or they're looking for the experience. But I, I think it's something that you can't fully understand how you're gonna react until you you
0: have one of those for yourself. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. and Thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise with us today. It was super interesting and your story as well. Happy Halloween. Thanks, you too. Well, that was soon to be Dr. Katie Crane sharing some urban legends from here on our province and how storytelling is a tradition worth scaring when we come back we'll chat with the hosts of the meddling kids podcast Bree and cord they're going to share some of their favorite newfoundland folklore scary stories be sure to stick around welcome back we're here with the hosts of the meddling kids podcast brie and cord Their podcast covers true crime, urban legends, scary stories, and all things creepy. They join me today to share some of their and their listeners' favorite terrifying tales. (laughs) Hey guys, I got some special guests here now. I'm actually here with the Meddling Kids podcast team. Guys, welcome to the show.
3: Thank Thank you you so much. We are the Meddling Kids podcast. We cover all things scary and weird for listeners near and far.
4: We are roommates who met on Twitter during a pandemic in 2020 and became instant best friends.
0: (laughs) I love it. You know, and I didn't realize you guys haven't known each other for that long, but you guys have been doing some amazing things. So for example, uh, you have a huge TikTok presence. You guys have a podcast. Can you guys give me a little bit of background on what you do and why people follow you?
3: So we kind of met through Twitter, but also through TikTok at the same time. That's how we, you know, found each other. And then we moved in together in when did you move in like March or it was February? after the
4: second lockdown. Yeah. Whenever so that was not even a
3: year. And then so in the middle of lockdown, we we kind of realized we had a lot in common. We had a lot of mutual interests for true crime and all things spooky and scary so we decided that we would force everyone else to listen
4: to us talk about it on our podcast <laughs> called meddling kids I we were
3: sat down one day and we were like well we got to come up with a name we mm-hmm. just kept saying random things and then i randomly was like let's do a scooby-doo reference like that would be so cool so then we were thinking of some i don't even know what the other ones but yeah meddling kids came up and we were both like
0: we knew. <laughs> I got. I got to run right away when you said it. I grew up in that generation, Scooby Doo. I would have got away if it was for you meddling kids. Yeah. My <laughs> I think it's great. And so a lot of what you guys do, and this is perfect for our Halloween episode, is you guys look and find scary stuff that's happening all around the province and all around in particular. So tell me a little bit about some of the things that you feature on your podcast.
4: Well, we do a lot of like the folklore here that happens in Newfoundland, like the fairies and the old hag and all that fun stuff. We also do like local, like true crime cases that have happened here and some from like the States as well.
3: We, uh, we try to keep a little bit local in like into the theme just cause not a lot of people know outside of our province, like all the weird and scary things that happen yeah, <laughs> on the island. Sometimes Canadians kind of forget that. Newfoundland exists I think a lot of Canadians think Newfoundland isn't even real so we like to like let the world know what's going on over here it's pretty crazy yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's so funny because the ghost stories and the folklore, that doesn't exist as much in other parts of the world, not to the degree here. And I'll tell you, the first question I have and story I want to hear about is the old hag. Because I'd never heard of the old hag. And then when I first moved here, and I'm not kidding, and, you know, I'm a scientist, okay, so I believe in all science, but I started to get sleep paralysis. I had it, like, four times. and I was telling somebody, like, oh, it's the old hag. And I was like, what are you talking about? So can you... (laughs) Tell everybody <laughs> what the old hag is. I heard if you talk about it, you're going to get it. So sorry to all the listeners. <laughs> well,
3: you got hagged. That's what that, you know, it could be called the hag, the hagging, the old hag. It's, uh, you know, it's a common thing that happens around the world, actually sleep paralysis. So when you fall asleep and you get that feeling that you're still awake and you can see everything around you, but your body doesn't move. It's so spooky and scary. <laughs> I've been getting the hag probably since I was 12, 11 or 12. And to me, I call it the hag, but I've actually never seen an old lady in my old hag. But I usually see like a guy with like a hood on who paces around my bed. And it's almost sometimes like they'll sit on your chest. It's like you can't catch your breath. And it's so scary. You can't I've move. actually never
4: had it. Like yeah, i are so
3: lucky. Really? we're So lucky.
0: Yeah. I mean, One so few. have you guys done any stories with people that have had pretty dramatic? I've never seen anything. I've just had the I can't even make a noise until finally you just uh, and then your arm comes yeah. up and you're like i broke it i'm free you know well we
3: did have a couple of people write in i can bring it up and uh, yeah. read it to you if you would like i'd love this all right so okay are you ready this one uh, was sent in from one of our listeners named vanessa so she said my three-year-old nephew spent the night a few years ago i woke up next to him I could see him but I was unable to move. Someone was hugging me from behind in a bear hug. I couldn't breathe. I knew the person hugging me was the lady from the movie, Mama. I finally woke up and laid there traumatized. Two minutes later, my nephew wakes me up screaming, she's gonna get me, she's gonna get me. I finally got him to calm down and asked who. His response, Mama. I nearly died on the spot. Neither of us slept that night
0: holy i got chills thinking about that, one. <laughs> uh, that is...
3: i also have goosebumps i'm actually oh, also
4: goodness. terrified of the movie mama yeah that so... one's scary yeah yeah
3: they um they say to ward off the hag you can sleep with a bible under your pillow or learn how to recite the lord's prayer backwards in your sleep
4: <laughs> which is okay. hard because i don't even know how to do it normally yeah i either mean, <laughs>
0: getting harder for people these days i mean i guess you could use the bible it'd be, be uncomfortable so you probably wouldn't even fall asleep to begin with because you yeah, no. pillow. so all right <laughs> any, any other any, any other experiences on that one before we get into some of the other things what's your um other yeah. not
3: so much experiences but like ways to avoid it okay i find i'll always get it if i fall asleep on my back and if i'm like falling asleep in the middle of the day and i'm falling asleep really fast mm-hmm. But other than that, like it's usually like a really old, creepy lady with long gray hair who just kind of lurks into the room and crawls up on your bed and like
0: just sits on your chest trying to suffocate you. Like it couldn't get any creepier. No, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. But you said it was there in other parts of the world. Are there different versions of it? Like is there some dude that goes South
3: Africa? I think I saw. Uh, I also have the names of what they call it in other places.
0: I heard South Africa before, actually.
3: Yeah, so we call it the Hag, and and other like like descriptions of the Hag. Um, in Nigeria, it's like a demon woman who pounces during your dreams and renders you motionless. In Japan, is explained as a spirit seeking vengeance by suffocating you in your sleep. And in Brazil, the culprit is a roof-dwelling chrome named Pisadiria who attacks you in your sleep while you're on your backs and if your stomachs are full. Um, In Egypt, it's a genie, supernatural creature that sometimes kills its victims. And in South Africa... They say she's like a dwarf-like creature called Tokolosh.
0: <laughs> Holy cow. So the consensus is no good, is what yeah. you're trying to say. Okay. so Yeah, the must...
4: consensus is leave us alone. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're talking Halloween with Brian Cord, the hosts of the Meddling Kids podcast. Their podcast covers true crime, urban legends, scary stories, and all things creepy. They're sharing some of their favorite terrifying tales. We'll be right back after the break welcome back we're here with the hosts of the meddling kids podcast brie and cord their podcast covers true crime urban legends scary stories and all things creepy let's get back to the show okay so we got other things in newfoundland too what are some other really big folklore stories we have here
4: well we have the mischievous newfoundland fairies
0: okay tell me about these
4: so the newfoundland fairies are self-explanatory they are fairies they um i don't know if they're just here well they're the newfoundland ones. i think
3: they are like
4: they're also like it's also like an irish folklore too
0: what do they get up to if they're mischievous
4: well
3: They're devious.
4: They make these little uh, fairy circles. Like you can sometimes see them on like meadows or like you could probably see them on someone's front lawn. They're like mushrooms, but in like a complete circle. Mm. And they say if you like step foot inside of a fairy circle, what feels like five minutes could actually be like you gone missing for like five years inside of this fairy circle.
0: Hmm.
3: Are I've seen been... a fairy circle in Gross mourn, actually and my mom was got really close to it and I got mad at her. I
0: wouldn't let her get in. <laughs> there's I mean has anybody gone missing that we know of with these well, fairy circles um,
3: a girl who works
4: with cord sent one in um, her name's Natasha um, a little story about so she sent in she said when one of my friends were younger around five to six years old, he was playing in the backyard and his mother turned her back for a split second, and when she turned around, he was gone. And a few hours later, they found him sat cross-legged by the river with all of his clothes and his socks folded up neatly, and his shoes were also right next to the pile of
1: clothes. Hmm.
0: So what is happening when we disappear into a fairy circle for Hmm,
1: hours, days, or
0: years? Like, what do they do? Do you hang out? They obviously are very neat and organized.
4: It's a great question. When we um, did our research for the fairy circles, it was really just like, you almost just like feel like you're stuck in place. And then almost like a hag. Yeah. And yeah. then when once you like, someone frees you from it, like someone else physically has to get you mm-hmm. out of the fairy circle. It's been like years.
0: Oh, sounds like quicksand. Which is oh. terrifying.
4: <laughs> also so he- a way to like, um, ward them off is to like, turn your socks inside out mm-hmm. leave breadcrumbs because they try to make you get lost on walking trails
0: Oh, okay right they okay and then, like... you, and then you end up in the circle it's almost like that movie with the mirror where they did the body snatching the skeleton key
3: yes oh my god i love that movie
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> watch right? it tonight. that's a creepy movie <laughs> yeah. right yeah. So
4: they say to leave like a trail of breadcrumbs when you're like walking through trails and stuff. So if you do start to feel confused because the little fairies are playing their little tricks, mm-hmm. you can follow the breadcrumbs back to where you were.
3: Yeah. One very important thing about fairies. Yes. Don't
4: accept their gifts.
3: Never.
0: Don't. Ever. Never. Hmm, why is that? Because you owe them something.
4: Yep. Um, they want, <laughs> What would they like in return is what is the scary part? And it is actually your soul.
0: <laughs> See, these aren't the fairies I think of when I think of a Tinkerbell. These are. These yeah, are,
3: no. No, they're very mischievous. They're they're, they're, they're good triggers. at triggers. They're good at what they do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So are there any fairy hotspots in Newfoundland? Well, the woods, the usually. The woods, yeah.
4: It's just mainly woods, like yeah. just What's that haven't been disturbed with like residential buildings or like construction areas. So like their presence hasn't been like moved or disrupted.
0: I got you. Okay. Well, another thing that you guys do is you explore a lot of spooky spots around the province and obviously you're careful and you're safe and all that good stuff when you go in there. But (laughs) what are some of the spookiest spots that you've seen here in the province?
3: Well, we actually went somewhere yesterday. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah we went to the abandoned pig farm yesterday up in uh
3: st phillips uh portugal, portugal. cove yeah i behind the <laughs> tilt house bakery there's a abandoned pig farm that uh was abandoned in the 1990s it is disgusting up there I'll, I'll just say that it's very dirty very dangerous if anyone is listening and wants to go visit be careful be very careful there's lots of broken glass lots of sharp rusted metal it's Collapse buildings. Yeah, (laughs) it is not safe up there. We didn't really go in. We we went into one building, um, where the pig pens are, and found some animal bones.
0: Yeah, it was (laughs) it was bizarre. It was gross. Nice little field trip with Halloween coming up. I suppose. Yes, of course. There was also
4: a, a man there. He makes YouTube videos. Okay. He um, scared the
3: crap out of yeah, me. he kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> it
0: was well, so you can crazy. Be sure. You can be sure to fill me in on that. Um, yeah. In so saying that,
3: though, he was very nice and funny. He had a good sense of humor. He just really scared
0: yeah. us. Sounds a little strange, but yes. So, okay, so you guys have your finger on the pulse of all things spooky. The province, what are you know, some of the big things people are going to do in the holidays, uh, or at least the, the Halloween uh, celebrations this year that you've heard of?
4: It's a great question. Um, I know that Mardi Gras is happening.
3: Is, is it like going to be called Mardi Gras? I yeah. have no idea. Well, usually like on Halloween and stuff, they'll close off George Street. Not close it off, but like, what would they like?
0: They have a festival. It's like
4: a. Yeah, kind of like George Street like, Fest. Uh, it's like kind of like George Street Fest, but like the street isn't actually closed off, I don't think. And you can dress up in costumes and go.
3: Yeah. To and they like will scan your Vax Pass before you go onto the actual street. Mm-hmm. and stuff and like then you can just go to different bars but other than that like i don't know that's not really spooky that's There's just <laughs> also
4: um fog mm-hmm. fest coming up mm-hmm.
3: okay
0: Hit so get that. your
4: tickets while you can if they're still available Yeah, so we're going to that on
3: thursday night we're super excited
0: yes yeah. tell me all about fog fest what's fog fest
4: well fog fest is like a screening of like some local movies here we mm-hmm. got some talented people there we're excited to see that
3: halloween and uh, mummering legends yes so it'll be at the cineplex on and Thursday. They're, they're all
4: made by local creators here yeah like nice.
3: um just crews and actors stuff like that it will be really spooky and scary yeah. yeah
0: but guys thank you so much for taking the time today if people want to follow you guys on social media how do they do it
3: so you can follow our instagram it would be at meddling kids podcast Uh, our, we're actually on Apple, uh, podcast and Spotify as well. But if you go on our Instagram and click the link in our Instagram bio, it will show all of the links to everything, but if you want to find us, it's just meddling kids, um, it will come up. There's actually another podcast called My Link Kids Podcast, but that's like a scooby doo themed one, so they might come up as well. But you'll see our picture, so you'll yeah, know you'll see us. Us And you'll know. You'll know. <laughs> it's it's very creepy. You'll you'll get the vibe as soon as you see the picture. Um, and our Instagrams are I'm Lordy.cordy. And I'm just Brianna Follett. And short and simple. <laughs> yeah, we love that. And TikTok, I am Lord.cord, and Bri is Brie Follett with Forties.
0: <laughs> okay, perfect. Excellent. No, that's great. I know we had a bit of a PG version for what sometimes you cover on your show, because you guys yeah. can get into some really crazy, dark stories, but that's awesome. And if anybody wants to check that out, I'd highly recommend it. It's really entertaining. It's really fun to listen to guys. Thank, thank you. So, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today.
4: Thank, thank you for having, having us. us.
0: Happy Halloween. Happy, Happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> Thank you to my guests for joining me today and sharing their spooky stories for all of our enjoyment. If you're looking for things to do in St. John's this Halloween, Mardi Gras will be a go on George Street again this year with some added pandemic safety precautions that are listed on the George Street Association site. There will also be a Halloween howl at the Munn Botanical Gardens on the 30th and 31st for the whole family. And for all those trickers and treaters and candy givers, be sure to check out the guidelines that public health has put out around going house to house this holiday so you only get treats. Thank you for joining me today. Enjoy your scary movies, cozy night by the fire, or sprint from door to door for candy. But most of all, have fun. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle show on your VOCM.